Welcome to episode four of the Mobility Society podcast. I'm Cash Alberto, Delft design researcher and mobility enthusiast. With me is Mark, my driver and producer. Today, we've journeyed to Eindhoven, the self-titled brain port of the Netherlands. We're here at Six Fingers, an innovation agency founded and owned by Rob Adams, who's speaking with us today about the Embassy of Mobility. Rob talks us through his process for designing mobility experiments that harness discomfort to challenge the status quo. He asks a simple but bold question. What if we design mobility for beauty instead of efficiency? Okay, so Rob, thank you so much for having us here today in Eindhoven yeah. for your hospitality. It's wonderful to be here at Six Fingers. Um, so as I understand it, you are the curator of the Embassy of Mobility, which is organised by the Dutch Design Foundation and is part of Dutch Design Week. Can you tell us a bit more about this embassy? What exactly does it entail? Well, in a, in, in, in a few words, uh, it entails uh, showing how things need to change in this system because it's quite a rigid system. Mm -hmm. uh, we build everything upon uh, the way we designed cities somewhere in the 2030s of the last century. And we never questioned this way of thinking and building this system. Uh, we just cope with it. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, a lot of stuff, uh, not brilliant stuff has been done. Some things are, have been designed in a great way, but I think we lost the human in it. And uh, we brag and talk a lot about smart cities, but the word smart means technology. Technology mm. means efficiency. And I don't hope that uh, might I become 80, I look back upon my life as having led the most efficient life ever because I think I've done quite some things wrongly. But uh, in this system, in this idea of making things more smart with mass kind of systems and so, it's all about efficiency. It's all about mm. smart. And where are we? Uh, where, where are you in it as a, as a human being? Yeah. So that's what we try, we try to... Challenge the status quo, challenge the dominant way of thinking. I call that the dominant logic. There's a rigid dominant logic in this mobility system. Mm -hmm. And things need to change because we need to cope with a lot of uh, very big issues in this world. Energy, climate, uh, well, we can all name them. Yeah. So uh, we need to change it. But that's so difficult because we are so, so in this dominant logic to a lot of policymakers. It's all logic and they can't think about other options because it's impossible. It's a system, it's a system, it's a system. Mm. But things need to change. So how would you characterize this dominant logic then? What are the problems that you're seeing with that logic? Uh, how I categorize it is uh, it's 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 thinking about efficiency, bringing uh, goods, people, whatever, from A to B to mm -hmm. make it really uh, simple. Uh, and f therefore our ways of habit, our ways of ne living needs to change. And normally before this system, we thought of a city as a social structure. Yeah. Now it's more an, uh, a process structure. And I hope we come back to the social structure again. If, if you look to big cities, you can live in an apartment building with maybe 100 apartments. So around 200, 300 people might be living in there. Mm -hmm. And nobody knows each other. Uh, that's part of this efficient way of building. Uh, I think mobility has everything to do with, of course, infrastructure, but also with public space, also with housing and so on. So cities need to change, but uh, 
it, there's a lot of stuff going on about smart cities. Yeah. And we build smart cities based on this idea that has been created for for cars during the 2030s and last century. Well, cars need to get in, need to get out of the city. You need to park a car in front of your house. So a lot of stuff is based on the car. Of, car, of course, the car is a great invention. Uh, even during COVID-19, we use cars even more than before because we d- didn't want to go into uh, uh, in a train. Or yeah, a, uh, very w- true. Yeah, we try to avoid t- public transport. So it's not about hitting a car or hating the car. I don't hate a car. I've got a car too, but... In some ways, it's so dominant in the way we mm. plan cities that it's bec- it, it has become too dominant. And uh, it has an impact on life. If you look to a street of 20 meters w- wide, uh, it's two and two meters for us people, mm-hmm. two and two meters for cars to park. And the other 12 meters is also for cars to drive. And I say to my son when he wants to run out of the house, uh, uh, be careful, cars driving there. Yeah. So, it's silly that we take it so much for granted that if you would design a house based on the sp- on the parameters of uh, of cities and a lot of streets, around eighty uh, percent of your house would be a garage. God, Nobody yeah. would want to live in such a house, but we all live in this kind of house, and we all take it for granted. And I think yeah. we don't need to take it for granted. That's so eye opening when you put it like that. That eighty percent of a house being being a garage. That really. That's a very yeah. strong metaphor for me. And that does make me think, oh, my goodness, why why do we live this way? Yeah. Why do we just take it for granted that this is how we live within our cities and we design our cities? Yeah. And, and it's that's the, the the rigidness of this dominant logic. Yeah. Because we think in this way. If, if uh, I've got a meeting next week with a, a village they are going to build over here in the Netherlands. I won't go into details. Mm-hmm. It's too much details for now. But... For some houses in this small uh, village, they think for each house we need 2.6 parking spaces. Yeah, it's such a common thing. So I I used to be an architect for for context. And every time we did some kind of domestic plan, exactly the same thing. At least two parking spaces per family unit. And a family unit could even just be two people in the eyes of of a developer. So that's one car per person. Which I don't know about you, but I know very few families that have one car per person, let alone one car per family. No, no, me neither. I know over here in the Netherlands, we have uh, two or three bikes per person. Exactly. But that's different than a car per person. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How do you think it got this way that we have such a deeply ingrained sense of a priority of, of cars over all other forms of, of transport Be- in our cities? Because it became the normal. I, I've even heard a story. I don't know if it's true, but it's a funny story. Most uh, families have two kids. Yeah. And someone once explained to me, I don't know if it's true, but it's funny. He said, the the way a car is designed, two two places in the back for kids. Yeah. That's the reason why people have two kids. Because if you have three <laughs> or four kids, you need to buy a bigger car. And nobody wants to buy a bigger car. So maybe even our family planning oh my is based on the design of a car. A I don't know if it's prophecy. true, but it's a, it's a funny story. <laughs> You know, I can't imagine it somehow. I can see that happening for sure. Yeah, me too. My goodness. So then how do we even go about defining mobility in this complicated system that we're in? How would you define mobility as we are today? I don't know if it's... uh, I I don't think... I don't agree whether... uh, I don't know whether or not you should define mobility Mm. because if you give a definition, I don't think it can be grasped by just this plain form of them... uh, uh, too complex it's, to it's sum up. It's too complex. It's a system. And how can yeah. you define a system in one sentence? I don't think... I think the problem comes 
that some people defined this um, the, the the term mobility in from uh, taking care from A to B as mm. efficient as possible, and then we uh, had this term of smart cities, which which is in fact a sales term. I thought it was invented by IBM or some <laughs> some some digital sales uh, guy. Yeah, who probably thought, well, let's talk about smart cities as a good sales term. Uh, I don't agree that you should must de define. I think it's something we. It's more a discussion you need to discuss about mm -hmm. and give a clear definition. Everybody agrees to upon this definition. Okay, this is a definition. Let's work on it. Yeah. Uh, a definition. If we take it for granted, you don't discuss or uh, challenge this definition. Uh, mm. If you give a definition and everybody agrees, I think then a new problem arises. Yeah, very good point. And actually, if you think about it, you know the connotations that the term ability has it's not static it's dynamic by nature yeah so it makes a lot of sense what you're saying that we shouldn't try and pin it down to one consensus definition and perhaps the multiplicity of it is what makes it powerful yeah so how have you gone about addressing this multiplicity this complexity in your work with mobility do you have any recent examples of work you've done that come to mind that really show this approach uh, yeah, well, we in f from this embassy, we're mm -hmm. busy with uh, quite some experiments, and, and one of them is the out of home working spaces. Oh, I don't know about that. Can you tell me more? Yeah, I will. Uh, it's uh, it's for the ministry over here in the Netherlands who regulates the the, the roads and everything. Mm -hmm. uh, we came to this conclusion during COVID that well we can work at home it's possible uh, and all these digital ways of communication work to a degree to a certain degree they don't work for not for everything because mm -hmm. you can get quite depressed having eight hours yeah. of team meetings or <laughs> zoom meetings on a day but it worked what didn't work were for the kids around you the dog barking or whatever mm. but people are used to uh, we are, have been we, we got used quite fast to this idea of working from home but you miss the social contacts, you miss a lot of people uh, uh, around you to discuss with because you do not plan. Everything was planned. It became efficient again. I, I noticed a lot of people talking about COVID. Oh, my life is be uh, so, yeah, it's become very efficient. But I you get miss so much done. Yeah, I get so much <laughs> done. And I think, but you will miss so much new insights because you're sitting day all all day at home same four walls every day yeah, yeah. with the same dog barking in the same language <laughs> yeah. to you and uh, so uh this idea of out of home workspaces is that people uh, for instance in in the netherlands who go from eindhoven to utrecht each day mm -hmm. instead of going there five days a week because it's so stupid you have been in a traffic jam this morning again yep and <laughs> we sit we all go back to our habits of two years uh, before and we mm. need to to, to cope with that, but we need to find to break this, getting back to where we were uh, uh, again, uh, to this mindset. Mm -hmm. Or these out of home workspaces, is you don't need to work at home. You can uh, go on your bike or walk to 10, 15 minutes uh, away from your home. It's over here in Eindhoven, these experiments. You can sit there, a good space, work there. Uh, your uh, employer knows you're working there. Maybe some other employees will work there. And you can get home, you have your work done uh, because. Also, uh, uh, the, the the way of working, your chair and so on at home is, is not meant to sit on for eight hours and so, mm. so people get a lot of health issues. So uh, we try to find a mix instead of these traffic jams, putting more concrete 
uh, more uh, at the roads again. We could also say instead of working for five five days a week again at your uh, at your uh, at the company you work with, you mm-hmm. can also go there for four days or three days. That is twenty or forty percent less. If everybody's doing that, we don't need new uh, new roads. Uh, it's mm. good enough. So. Uh, and so instead of the ministry thinking, well, we need to plan traffic jams again, let's put in more concrete and so on, and let's uh, make the roads wider. No, yeah. You can also invest in out-of-home workspaces, mm. talk with employers about where to put them. Because we know, for instance, that ASML over here, mm-hmm. Nato, a lot of people go from Tilburg to ASML. Mm. And they go there every day, every day. They go in, go out, go in and go out. Maybe you can build an out-of-home workspace over in Tilburg so that at least yeah. one day a week, 20%, if everybody uh, deducts 20% of the mobility uh, traffic, uh, it will mean a lot from a climate point of view. It will mean a lot for traffic jams. It, it will have such a huge impact. Mm-hmm. So that's part of a mobility. That's, mm-hmm. uh, that's something else. And for instance, another experiment we work on is to trade in uh, the car for green. So we are saying to people over here in the streets in Eindhoven for these 20 meters in uh, we just spoke about, mm-hmm. instead of having 12 meters for the car and two and two meters for the car to park, you get the car only two meters in the middle because if in, in the Netherlands we have these bungalow parks where people go for having a break for one week. Mm-hmm. You cannot park the car in front of your bungalow. You can bring your groceries. You can pick up mom, dad, or your dog, or w- whatever you want to, and uh, go out of this structure again. But the car is not allowed. It's much more green mm-hmm. of that. And everybody is booking holidays over there. Why not doing this in the in in the street too? So instead of the car will only have two or three meters in the middle, cannot speed, can bring their groceries, can pick up their kids or whatever, mm-hmm. but we we create a hub to park it somewhere else and you have a free uh, garden in front of your home and what this experiment might lead to is that people get to know each other much more uh, maybe they take care of each other much more maybe that an older lady uh, w- living opposite me can uh, take care of my kid when i need to go to groceries or something so we and then a lot of people in the municipality they said, oh, but people don't want this. They don't want it. They want to park the car. Says who? How did yeah. they come to that conclusion? Yeah, that's the dominant logic again. Oh, okay. uh, and if, I, I asked them, have you ever asked them? No. <laughs> but, of course. But we know the answer. It's great that you don't know the answer without asking a question. Uh, Telepathy but, or something, yeah, clearly. <laughs> yeah. And then we asked people over here in some streets over here, and they said, yeah, we all agree. But then the difficult st- stuff comes, that's from a political point of view. Mm. Uh, if w- from 100 people, then 98 wanted and two not, do we then change the system? No. Then they say, yeah. we cannot change. Everybody needs to be in favor of this changing. And that's the stupidity of w- wanting to change that. If to keep everything the same, only one or two people um, uh, might oppose to it, and I would say, "Oh, we cannot change." Mm. And if it's 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 always this f- favor of staying in the same uh, in the same in the same situation, uh, unless everybody wants to change. But nobody wants. To, not everyone will always want to change. So yeah, why not focus on the people who want to change and want to drive uh, and steer this this planet in a different direction, and uh, therefore do mobility in a different kind of way uh, instead of always agreeing with the people who oppose 
still yeah. changing. That's silly. Where do you think this resistance to change comes from? Because it sounds like it's quite a a deeply entrenched issue. And it's something, you know, I've heard in other conversations, especially surrounding mobility and aspects of uh, sustainability as well. Where do you think it comes from? I think from the, <laughs> I don't know, but, but, but maybe from the, because we are quite a lazy species. Mm. So uh, we <laughs> want to park the car in front of our home. That might be one. And because we cannot see or... Uh, I know the benefit of the situation I'm in. The car is in front of my home. So if I want to get run out and need my car, I'm there. Mm -hmm. And people don't feel, uh, cannot feel uh, already. Uh, if something changes and you're in this new situation, you you feel and notice this change and you can uh, think about... Uh, well, I'm now in a situation, the old situation, and the new situation is better. But in this way, we ask if you do things in a conceptual way. Not everybody is great in grasping this concept and mm. and feel and understand what this means for them and how it can, in fact, improve their situation. Yeah, I can imagine that if you present something in a more, I mean, this is an issue that comes up in design an awful lot and innovation yeah. in general, where yeah. if you present something conceptually, People, the, the proof is in the pudding, as, as the phrase goes. People need evidence in order to get behind it. Yeah. So how do you manage that in, in your work? How do you go about demonstrating to people that this change is necessary and is beneficial? You need to do experiments and show it. Show how it can be done mm -hmm. and that it's not difficult. But you also need to uh, uh, show it to policymakers because they are part of this system too. Yeah. Uh, would you be willing to live in the street with more green, but you cannot park the car in front of your house? Absolutely. I and mean, I don't drive, full disclosure. So yeah. <laughs> for me, I have a vested interest in there being more green space. But, but yeah. for instance, can you understand people uh, in England where you're from? You yeah. just told me you were from Southampton. Yeah. Uh, your parents or uncles or something who, who would resist to... I can certainly Parking imagine the, that, yeah. Especially because the public transport is not good where I'm from, yeah, so people exactly. really rely on their cars. Yeah, yeah. I can definitely imagine that. It's such a problem, isn't it? This is something we sort of come up against time and time again in the context of mobility, and even in the few episodes we've done so far for this podcast. This, this problem where we're living within a system that is already kind of in an adverse state. Yeah. So it's this question of, how do we go about changing something that we're already living in? Yeah. Um, something that you said recently in an interview I read of yours talking about the impact the pandemic has had on mobility really resonated with me, where you were talking about how obviously the pandemic has been a terrible thing for many reasons, but it's also a very unique situation yeah. in that the mobility system we've had for the last however many decades yeah. has kind of forcibly come to a halt, yeah. quite literally to in many ways. And so that also gives us a chance to reflect and reassess and maybe to start changing things because the system has sort of slowed down enough for us to be able to do that. Yeah. So do you think that this has actually happened? You mentioned that there's been a couple of interventions where you've seen the possibility for this to, to happen, but is it happening? Are people becoming more receptive to change because of the pandemic? I don't know whether or uh, what I notice now that everybody goes back to their normal habit. Mm, but that's okay. also with employers who think people need to be in their office again from nine to five or in the the, the uh, in the planting yeah. facilities. So those things might 
I don't know whether or not they changed, but a lot of people understood that uh, slowing down mobility, especially in cities like Amsterdam or Barcelona mm-hmm. or Ma- Ma- Milan, or mm-hmm. that everybody knows, hey, life is actually a lot better without all these cars and all these traffic. Yeah. All these. So I think that's being noticed. But uh, one of the problems that comes down to my. Uh, we talk about design, about user-centered design. I think there's a big mistake in user-centered design also because mm-hmm. we tailor things to what users want. Be, you, be, but we are human species, so we want everything and we want it now. Uh, yeah. I think instead of human-centered design, you should uh, think about humanity-centered design. What do mm. two or three generations from now need? And what? how can we help them in getting the life they need in two, three generations uh, after us. So instead of taking humans as an approach and to do user-centered design, you should think, well, what are the implications of what we do now on future generations? Yeah. And if that is the case, then a lot of things need to change. But most people resist to it because, hey, I'm living now and yeah. I want it now and I want it all. Yeah, I can I can really imagine that. You know, in a lot of spheres of life, not just mobility, I think you come up against that same attitude of, well, why should I care? Because it's not going to affect me in my no, lifetime. No, it's maybe the kid just, of my kid, but yeah. I don't know him or her, so uh, it's not my problem. Exactly. It's such a, a short-sighted view. How do we help people to get that more future-oriented vision? I think sometimes... Uh, if you put in, if you have a river and you put in a big uh, rock, mm-hmm. the water goes uh, in a different way. It still will float, but in a different way. I think maybe we should design din- discomfortness in cities. Mm, interesting. So uh, take the uh, impact of, for for instance, if you if you go to uh, to a train station, you are waiting. Everybody is looking on the mobile. Yeah. Then the train is not coming. Everybody sh- sh- stops there with their mobile. Uh, Plugs their earplugs out of their ears yeah. and start, uh, of course, over the here, over here in the Netherlands. Now we start complaining <laughs> yeah. about uh, the trains, but in yeah. these complainings, we have contact again. Yeah. So the discomfortness uh, of not that the train is not on time leads to new communication. Yeah. So discomfort, discomfortness can mean a lot. Also in cities, if you say if you're going to live over here. You're not allowed to have a car. You mm. can rent a car, and we will make sure that you have uh, some some. Uh, uh, we will make it much more easier or whatever. People will still want to live there. And then you attract the people who don't need a car, maybe like mm. you. Mm-hmm. You would say, well, if I've got more green in front of this uh, apartment building, I cannot, I'm not allowed to have a car. It's it's a different way how you can regulate this, but it's mm-hmm. uh, f- for later sake. Uh, I think a lot of people will be attracted to it. Yeah. And now we're thinking, no, but, but you cannot do that. But some people need a car. And then we thought, then we're thinking from, the existing point of view, this nowadays. But yeah. if you think about this concept, this will have a huge impact on future generations because less Absolutely. cars, we will adapt different kind of traveling. Uh, we will m- make... Uh, if you do that, the the municipality needs to take care of better public transport because otherwise mm. it's important. So designing for discomfort, that's the opposite of user-centered design, might lead to uh, b- beautiful things. I really and, like and that. I hate this concept of always users and design and we brag about design thinking and <laughs> it's not about the design thinking, it's not about user-centered design. The reason 
if you if you always apply user dentist user dentist yarn, you will end up with a lot of stupid shops in this in the center of towns, and we will buy this shit <laughs> also. So, yeah, uh, I think there is also a big problem in how we teach. Uh, young people to design it's, it's all about user center if they don't like it don't design it maybe yeah if they don't like it design it maybe that's uh, a better idea yeah i really like that that's a very um that's kind of a catalyst for change isn't it when you force people to in some way re-examine what they've held to be true yeah yeah this whole user-centered design thing obviously it almost becomes a buzzword at some yeah. point but yeah that really resonates with me what you're saying about it's not it's not enough to just design for what people say that they want now should should they be wanting that is that the best possible outcome for them not just now but in the long term it's a really important question to ask and one that i don't think we necessarily ask enough um, an example that immediately came to my mind was uh congestion zones and charges in capital cities like in yeah. london for example yeah. i remember when the congestion charges got put in and people were outraged by it they would not stop complaining they were saying oh this is so unfair you're stopping me from driving through central london what am i meant to do and of course they just adapt and get public transport and have yeah. to park further out and then take the tube in or yeah. walk or whatever so people always find a way to adapt and inevitably it's better for the city but there's always that initial resistance there yeah and still you don't know how many people complain maybe it's yeah. just one or two percent and the rest said it's okay with me yeah and then we listen to these one or two percent like i just mentioned mm -hmm. out of 100 people two don't want to change yeah why listen to them force them to change or uh, go and live somewhere else or uh, yeah whatever you want to do <laughs> with your life it's okay with us yeah but if these 98 people want that but i had it with a regulator or someone from a municipality who i had this this hard discussion he said you cannot push people to change i think i thought you cannot also prevent people from willing to change because some don't want to change why do you always listen to more to people who complain and don't want to change mm. instead of listening to the people who want to change and there's a big middle group who doesn't care if if it's this the case well i uh, need to get used to it and then i will have my new habits and if you come down to habit, you can also uh, think about the difference between a habit I have or just something that that's uh, some sort of a ritual to me. Mm. A ritual means something to me, and a habit is just a way of getting from my work to home. Yeah. I will cycle home in uh, the end of this day, and probably I don't know even how I got there. I just just was sort of mindless autopilot. Yeah, yeah, mindless autopilot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a habit. But what if a mobility would become some sort of ritual that we add things that uh, are different? It becomes uh, intentional in a way. Yeah. If you look to a city, why not think about how to slow down people mm. instead of speeding them up to get from A to B as efficient as possible? Why is there not a slowing down space in, in cities? And that yeah. people might actually listen to each other and look each other in the eyes instead <laughs> imagine of looking. That. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah, but, but I saw... So, uh, uh, a man in in the park where uh, where th there were some uh, how do you call them these uh, where kids go in and swings swings yeah swings. there was this young boy uh, I think two three years old s sitting in this swing and his dad was pushing him but he looked onto his mobile oh that's I thought, sad I thought that's so bleak you've got a half a year to experience this and yeah. you're looking probably at uh, some stupid uh, facebook, news, feed, or facebook yeah. feed or a news uh, site or something to read about the stupidity of putin yeah uh, and you can read a lot about the stupidity of putin oh there's plenty yeah <laughs> there's more than enough 
are you listening? <laughs> but uh, that's, that's, I thought, how can you not enjoy this moment? Yeah. Yeah. But that's also for mobility where you, we, we get used so much to tech. And mm-hmm. I don't hate tech because I'm also working for one day a week at the technical university over here in Eindhoven. Mm-hmm. So I don't dislike tech, but uh, uh, tech should not be a, some sort of religion. Uh, mm. And that has become, tech has become dominant in mobility too, because we think about mass mobility as a service to make it as quick and easy as possible. Mm-hmm. Of course, that leads to good stuff that I can not use the car and plan a, a route from A to B as as uh, beautifully as mm-hmm. planned. But uh, if you plan, it's always about what do you want? A cheap price? Or do you want it as quick as possible? Why, yeah. is, there, why is there not the, the inefficient route in which I can discover a lot of new stuff? Maybe people would use it. Yeah. I, I don't know. Or the most green uh, green alike. Or all these options need to be added. But from a mass point of view... Or two options, speed or cheap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's silly. Yeah, again, it's it's this um, prioritization of efficiency yeah. over everything else. You yeah. know, I'm just reflecting on... So I was back in um, in London in the UK over the, the past weekend and I just remembered how, <laughs> how infuriated I was getting by people walking slowly in front of me through the tube station. As soon as I go back into that city, I get into this mindset of if I'm not traveling, if I'm not walking at the fastest possible physical speed that I can do through this space, then something's wrong here. Yeah. Because I have to be getting there as quickly as humanly yeah. possible. People get so mad about it, you know? It's like we're somehow programmed it's to... It's always funny in yeah. England that you need to keep on the left side of in the tube because now on the right the, side... the right side on the, the right escalators? Side because on the rest can run. Yeah, people can, can run and trip down can the stairs to get the, the tube. Step, to get the tube because otherwise you're three, ta- three minutes later and that can, can lead... Or to, even one minute. Or maybe one, but that can have a big influence on your life. You yeah, never know then what happened to, then. Honestly, I, I thought people were dramatic about it until I lived there and then I realized that actually that one minute makes all the difference because the whole system is set up because people, you know, TFL and whoever else organizes it, they know that people behave in this way. Yeah, but it's also designed, the, the tube. Yeah. Uh, it's also designed in a stressful way. So stressful, so stressful. When you actually think about the environment you, that you're in, it's it's absolutely horrible. But, 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 but it's, it's the same the silliness that happens when you enter an airport. Mm. Everybody gets... I need to rush. I need to front get front. I need to be. Uh, everybody gets stressed because yeah. the way it is designed, it's designed to seeing all these long lines. Yeah. Everybody gets stressed because of a long line. It's silly. Yeah. And there's again, no de-stressing line in uh, at an airport. I wish there was. Yeah. I would use it for sure. Airports are horrible. Yeah. Schiphol in particular. You know, it's it's so big. To me, it feels like a city within itself. It is. And that's, that's an awful moment when you think, okay, which one's my gate? Oh my God, it's really far away. That's a very high number. You start dragging your luggage along with you and yeah. 20 minutes later, you're still going. But yeah, my goodness, so stressful. I just, I wonder how on earth we can begin to to change these kinds of attitudes because I feel like efficiency in particular is, it's a priority and it's a value that is really deeply embedded in a lot of facets of our culture as yeah, well, especially in, in Europe, in Northern in Europe the, and in Western, in Western countries. Western, yeah, yeah. It is. it's something that we really shape our whole lives around, you know, this kind of yeah. productivity culture as well. Planning. I think that all, yeah, planning everything, optimizing, self-optimization yeah. always. And I think that really feeds into mobility as well as sort of like a, a lens through which we can view society yeah. as we do in our podcast series. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just to shout out. 
But yeah, that really makes me wonder, how do we go about changing something that seems to be so deeply entrenched? And you mentioned before that uh, design interventions and experiments can be a really good way to do yep. this because it provides a concrete sort of anchor point with which to experience how things might be different. Yeah. So as I understand it, for Dutch Design Week this past year, just gone in October 2021, yep. in the Embassy of Mobility, you organized a series of experiments uh, that look at these kinds of issues, but actually in the sort of in the style of a living lab, put them into the context, the physical context yep. and gather information. Yeah. So can you tell me a bit more about that? Any any other examples? Like on Tuesday, we have the, always the market over here in the center of Antwerp. A lot of people go there. Mm -hmm. They walk there, go there by bike, but that's, and, and that the public space becomes an activated space. What do you mean exactly by activated space? Just to clarify. Uh, uh, when things can be organized, things can be done, uh, things can be done differently. Mm -hmm. uh, you can throw in a party or uh, whatever. A lot of things are being regulated. And if you would activate a space with no regulations, of course, no violence and all that kind of stuff. Of course. But, of course, <laughs> but if, if you say this space is... Because now, on to be on the market or to play my guitar on a Thursday afternoon somewhere in the street in Eindhoven, I need to have permits. <laughs> of course. That's yeah. silly because I add a quality to life, maybe some nice music. So yeah. why is everything with permits? So if you look at an activated space, you could say there is no permit over there. You right. can do whatever you want and that will attract people. Maybe some, yeah. it's like uh, in London uh, on every Sunday morning, you can listen to strange theories of people standing on a, on a, a host at cult speaker's <laughs> corner. And you can, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. To me, that's funny. Uh, not if you live there close by and you have it every Sunday morning. Uh, avoid it like the plague. <laughs> <laughs> avoid it like the plague, but... Uh, but that's an experiment we're also driving. So, uh, and the other ones is to reverse the mobility pyramid because now when car is on top okay. on top of the pyramids. So, what does this pyramid look like? The pyramid looks like the car is uh, like God at the point pyramid, of the pyramid. At the point yeah. of the pyramid, at the top of the pyramid. Uh, so, every traffic light, everything is designed for th thinking about this car. It should go from efficient from A to B and. Over here in Eindhoven, if you want to cross a road, uh, mm -hmm. a, a big, uh, we call it the ring, uh, the ring around Eindhoven. If oh, you, yeah. Um, if you want to walk from, uh, for, from the, the, if you want to go from the street from this way to the other way, mm -hmm. you have maybe 40 seconds. Even now, I need to run. Uh, my mother would probably Sprint. be run over. Yeah. And then these cars can travel for three, four minutes, and then yeah. I've got 40 seconds again. You can also say... If you reverse it and if you put the bike or people walking on top of the pyramid, that would lead to uh, that. Yeah, I will be at a supermarket much faster by car, uh, not by car, but by uh, bike or walking. Mm. So if you reverse this mobility pyramid on which motorized cars and buses and so are on top and we as uh, humans walking uh, somewhere at the bottom of the pyramid, if you reverse that, that might lead also to a lot of change. So we focus on these four experiments. Wonderful. Now. It sounds like there's an awful lot to learn from those experiments yeah. too, you know, really going out into the world and saying, not not just theorizing about how things could be different, but saying we're actually going to do something to show you how it can be different. And we'll really learn some key lessons from that. So and that's exactly is 
my basic idea we should not focus too much on return on investment yeah. but, but focus on return on learning what are mm. the learning curves and how can we learn as much as possible and uh, this concept of return on learning is about uh, everybody uh, in economics understands ah, I only think in return on investment what's this concept of return on learning but we think deploy high and yield high learning curves mm-hmm. if that's if that's the case we will maybe learn how to adapt to the future and take uh, three generations from now uh, designed for them and not only for us yeah it that, sounds that will be difficult because we are humans and we of have, course we have some sort of stupidity in us but that's what we that's what we need to design for uh, to be able to change uh, yeah the course of stupidity <laughs> in uh, something that's more uh, in that's more smart. So how do we go about doing that? Where do we go from here, in your opinion? With everything you've learned from these experiments and all of your experience, what is the way forward for us to get to this better future for mobility? To learn from outliers, mm-hmm. people who just do stif- stuff differently instead of thinking they are the crazy ones. No, you can also say they are the outliers and we can learn from them. Mm-hmm. To deploy uh, experiments and show that it can be done and that people want to change. Yeah. And avoid listening to the two or three percent who don't want to. Uh, well, that's yeah. But deploying and uh, doing experiments, learn as much as possible, and show it can be done. That's I think the only way, mm-hmm. because change begins by doing the things and not to sit in a room, brag intellectually with each other. Uh, it needs to be done. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, not, so, not so a meta commentary on no, on no, our it's not a commentary. But, but, uh, <laughs> but I would say, let's drop our, our microphones and so on. Go Get outside and do something. And do something. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Rob. It's been a, a really enlightening conversation, and very. I, I feel motivated to go out there and and do something to change the future of mobility now, which is fantastic. Especially as an academic, the the point you just made about sitting in a room and being intellectual without doing much really that resonates with me <laughs> that resonates with That's me an good. awful lot so it's, it's good to hear there's people like you out here who are actually getting up there and getting the job done so fantastic thanks again so thanks. much for your time thanks so much